Today on the On Enquirer podcast, Michael Tuop weighs in on Illinois' 93-81 loss at Penn State and Jalen Pickett's epic performance. What uh, did Illinois do wrong against Jalen Pickett or what did Jalen Pickett do so right against Illinois? Michael Tuop breaks that down, also talks about a few positives that came out of that game, especially on offense, uh, including one Ty Rogers and how that impacts Illinois moving forward, not just in the short term, but the long term. For this program. So we get into that conversation. We get a little uh, big picture as well. Uh, I did that yesterday with Derek Piper towards the end of the podcast. I kind of did something similar here with Illinois basketball because I think it's a good team, not a great team. Uh, but we talk about that in the scope of the Big Ten, of the country, and the NCAA tournament. So we have a little bit of a discussion on that because it feels like every game, whether it's win loss, it's um, deciding what Illinois will do in the NCAA tournament. Uh, when I think the last couple of years have probably shown us that whatever you do in the regular season doesn't always have uh, a natural impact on, on what you do in the NCAA tournament. But uh, this obviously has a team that has a high variance, I think we can say, and Michael Tuop and I get into that. Before we do that, I just want to weigh in on a few quick things with Illinois football. They've made official the hire of Robbie Disher as their newest assistant coach. He'll be the special teams coordinator and tight ends coach. Illinois made that official yesterday. He has spent time at Tulane, which had their best season ever basically last year, finishing in the top 10 of the AP, uh, top 25 last year. Also stopped at Georgia, was part of their special teams, wasn't the uh, special teams coordinator, but uh, was part of their special team staff in 2021. Of course, they won a national championship. Was part of the Louisiana staff in 2020. Of course, their head coach, now the head coach of Florida. Uh, Toledo for four years. Oklahoma State for a couple years. Sam Houston State as well. Um, and he's going to fill the staff vacancy left by Ben Miller, uh, stepping into who's stepping into an analyst role as he continues to battle um, stage four colon cancer. It seems like it's been more positive. Uh, you know, stage four colon cancer is obviously very serious business, but uh, not enough uh, certainty for him to be the full-time recruiting guy, full-time special teams coordinator. So he's going to move into that analyst role. Uh, but Disher to me makes a lot of sense. He's had a lot of success as a special teams coach, Tulane, top 40, top 30, whatever you want to look at, whatever metric you want to look at in special teams last year. Um, the Raging Cajuns, when he was there in 2020, were number two in special teams efficiency. When he was at Toledo, they were the most efficient in the country in 2018 in special teams. He's got a history of having return touchdowns, um, blocked punts. They had six in his 2018 year with Toledo. Return touchdowns, four in that 2018 year. Uh, he was named to the Broyles Award candidate. Uh, he was uh, the special teams coordinator of the year by Phil Steele back in 2018. So... This guy's been pretty good at his job, and he makes a lot of sense. He seems like he's one of the better special teams coaches in the country. Uh, and for me, he's got recruiting ties in Ohio, where Ben Miller was the lead assistant, which makes sense. That was kind of your hole with Ben Miller sidelined, uh, with obviously his personal issue here, is you want to get into the Midwest. And Bart Miller's in Minnesota and Wisconsin. Of course, everybody's uh, in-state here, but then you have – George McDonald in Indiana, Terrence Jameson in Michigan, Thad Ward now in, in, in Missouri. Disher comes in, he kind of fills some of these Midwest holes because I think Illinois under Brett Bielema is going to be Midwest and Florida uh, and maybe some pockets of other places here. New Jersey certainly has been really good for them, but they keep it kind of this Midwest footprint outside of the Florida and New Jersey thing, and they'll go into other states here or there where they have some connections, but Disher fits two of those places, Ohio where he's from, or where he coached, or where he coached for Toledo, excuse me, and then 
Kansas City, where he's from. Kevin Kane recruited Kansas City because he is from that area as well. So get another guy in Missouri, uh, I think, is important for Illinois. But most of the value is here on special teams, which is really important. Uh, Illinois last year wasn't a great special teams team. Uh, haven't been bad by any means, but uh, Disher certainly has a very, very good resume. So I think it's a really strong hire in a offseason of hires that made sense. I think Thad Ward was a great hire uh, as a running backs coach, overqualified for me, fits exactly what they need in recruiting, and obviously has the experience here. Charlie Bullen, unproven at this level as a recruiter, which we've talked about, but when you talk about the pass rushers Illinois has now and in the future with the talent they have, makes sense to have a guy who's coached some of the best pass rushers in the world. And now Robbie Disher, uh, who's a really proven special teams coach, young guy from the Midwest, makes a lot of sense. So I, I just think a lot of these hires have made sense. Obviously, you lost a lot of good coaching talent. Ryan Walters at the top of that list. Corey Patterson with his recruiting ties and, and the success they had in the running backs room. And I think Kevin Kane was pretty dang good position coach as well. So uh, they had some guys to replace, but I think Brett Bielma showed yet again uh, he's got really good connections and that you know he's pretty good at hiring because people want to coach for him, it seems, right? Like these are really good coaches. One was at a Big 12 champion, right, last year, and Thad Ward. Disher has had a pretty good run here. Uh, of good programs and and then Charlie Bowen was an NFL assistant so he gets him to buy into being a power five college assistant I think that's pretty good also made official that Terrence Jamison will be the co-defensive coordinator I don't want people to overthink themselves here Terrence Jamison got a promotion he got a title bump because he's a really good coach we can talk about recruiting and I think he's done a good job evaluating Obviously did not land the Chicago kids that you wanted at his positions where he was the lead recruiter. He did help recruit Malik Elzey, but he's been a phenomenal coach. Johnny Newton and Keith Randolph were great. Calvin Avery obviously had his best year last year. I thought T.R.I. Edwards was pretty good. Um, I think he's really good at, at his job. So there will be probably some increased responsibility probably in the run game and what they do up front, but Aaron Henry is the defense coordinator. He'll be calling this defense um, but all these guys play a role, whether it's Andy Boo, where it's now Charlie Bowen, Antonio Finellis now with the DBs. They all play a role in it. It all ends up on the on the DC's desk, and of course the head coach can make any change he wants to all of that. But uh, Jameson just gets a, a title bump for a young guy, a younger guy, but a proven guy uh, at the Power 5 level as a coach, and he's had a really good two years here at Illinois. So I wouldn't overthink this. This is just really rewarding a guy who's done really well for you. Um, so not a surprise to Terrence Jameson uh, will get that kind of title bump, maybe a little bit increased responsibility. But I think uh, for Brett Bielma, it's certainly a nod to how he feels about Terrence Jameson, wants to keep this guy here. And you know, title bump usually comes with a salary bump. And uh, to keep these guys in the fold, Aaron Henry, along with Andy Boo, is important when you lost two important defensive staffers to Purdue. All right, when we come back, let's break down some Illinois basketball. Michael Tulip breaks down his thoughts on Illinois' loss at Penn State. That's next. Welcome into the Illini Enquirer podcast. We're going to try this live on our YouTube channel for the first time with Mike Tulip. Mike, um, man, Jalen Pickett was pretty good last night as he goes for 41 points and Penn State beats Illinois for the second time. They get the season sweep of the Illini, 93-81. They've made 24 threes against Illinois so far this year. So why does Illinois have so much issues with Jalen Pickett and uh, this Penn State team, Mike? 
Well, it is a unique matchup. Um, and I'll stick on the defensive side of the ball because for the most part, I actually thought the offense was pretty good last night. And I think you can build on a lot of things on that end. The issue with playing a team like Penn State, particularly for Illinois, is it's I look at it as like 90-10. So your length and your versatility and your size, 90% of the time, that's going to be an asset for you. And it, it's shown to be that for them this year. The 10% of the time that it's a, that it's a downside is it makes you really screenable. Hmm. So when you play a team like that, when Andrew Funk's setting screens, and we know Michael Shrewsbury is a tactician. You know, he, 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 he draws those things up similar to Matt Painter's, a lot of misdirection and guys screaming off a of floppy action on the baseline, down screens, pin downs. And if you have guys that are a lot of times six, six or above, you are a bigger screening target. It's just, that's just physics. Like that's a real thing. And I think that's Matt Meyer at times. I think that's Coleman Hawkins just by way of being six ten. It's hard as a six ten guy to really get through ball screens and get down get through down screens and a lot of times you end up having to shortcut it. And yeah, I mean it cr- it creates long closeouts, straight line drives. Um, and even in transition when you guard a team like that, if you're not tuned in to what's going on, you get so fixated on the scout where it's like, oh, it's a shooter, it's a shooter, it's a shooter, it's a shooter. Those guys are everywhere. So then your transition defense gets so spread out. So now there's these lanes to drive. And I thought there were a couple times last night where, and when I say a couple times, I literally mean, you know, two or three times where if Dane isn't going to sprint the floor back defensively, you essentially become a sixth Penn State player setting screens on your own guys. Because there's a there's a point blank layup that Jalen Pickett had, uh, or maybe it was uh, Kanye or, or whatever his name was. Um, I learned his name last night. Yeah, so <laughs> he had a good game when he when he's driving down the middle of the floor. Ty Rogers is doing the alley drill on him and trying to cut him off. And if Dane, you're not going to sprint and be heading the hole and get down to protect the rim, you just get in the way. So Ty Rodgers had to adjust because Dane was still sprinting by and he's able to get a straight line drive to the basket. So little stuff like that, but I wasn't overly concerned. I mean, you had a guy last night that had 16 field goals and I think two of them were layups. I, you know, I, I know it, it seems like a trend with a couple of these guys with, with what Perkins did the other night, but sometimes you catch these, these players on these nights where it just doesn't matter. There was, there were some possessions of good defense that ended in, makes for Penn State and guys just kind of fed off of that and it uh, it grew and grew and grew but I'll say this it's 72-63 with about eight and a half minutes left and Terrence Shannon's lining up for a wide open three Mm -hmm. so through all of that you're you're potentially have a two possession game there which I think is is encouraging you just you just can't let all this build you need to be an assignment sound like coach Underwood talks about and and if you do that you know, this is going to be much more of a, a blip on the radar than uh, something that I think defines this team. I mean, you do got to tip your cap, Mike. I mean, Jalen Pickett's game was unbelievable. 41 points for 15 of 20 from the field. Only six free throws. Like, usually when you go off for this many points, like Carson Edwards uh, a couple years ago, it's with a bunch of free throws in it. Eight assists, two turns. Uh, played 39 minutes. I mean, just one of the best performances I've seen uh, against an Illinois team, and, and one that's pretty good at, at defense. What makes him 
so difficult? What makes him so good? Well, he's uber skilled. I think we know that. But it's a perfect marriage. And when you mix the tactical element that Shrewsbury brings, when you combine that with his skill set and what he brings to the table, and then you throw in the personnel around him on top of it, that's, that's how you get games like this. And that's how you get a team that can be this potent and dangerous is because they blend all of that together. And for him, what was impressive is what you just mentioned. Like he wasn't just parading to the foul line. He, I think his, I think he shot his first free throw with like seven minutes left in the game. Uh, and then there were just a couple touch fouls that sent him back to, to hit a few, but he is, you know, he's a guy that's shooting up on, on NBA radars. Um, a guy that I think, couple weeks ago was the first time I had seen his name on a draft board and and that may continue to climb because he's he's that skilled and um look I I think for him you just got to say all right how are we going to guard him because the personnel around him is what makes that really difficult and you're afraid to throw two at him because of that personnel and you're afraid to play him straight up and the worst place you can be is in that gray area because uh, that's where they pick you apart. Now you can sell out doing one or the other. And I thought last night, for the most part, they, they said, we're going to play them straight up. We don't want these other guys to get loose. And you tip your cap, man. I mean, the step back he had on the right wing, he had two step backs over Dane for three. Didn't even, it wasn't even like he was pulling Dane out, attacking, getting downhill. These were step backs. And if you're, the Illinois bench, you're, you're clapping because that's the shot, if Dane's on him, that you want to force. Now, there's other ones that you, you, you know, they busted some switches, um, a couple in the first half that led directly to him hitting some shots. And the problem is those busted switches become even more uh, hurtful to your defense because now he's got it going. So now he's popping back behind a screen and, and knocking it down. So Guys like that, it's it's less about what's our game plan going to be. It's it's, and I've mentioned it before. It's just can you play with a little bit of deception defensively? And I thought Coleman did a really good job of that at times, and being a helper. Like I'm gonna sprint over, and you're gonna think I'm coming to trap. I make you pick up the ball. I pop back to my guy. Like he's he can read that. He can pick that up. Now there's some other guys that you know the freshmen still need to pick up on that and learn that that's going to come with time. But for a guy like Matt Meyer, it just the hands on the knees yeah. time and time again, it's almost the majority of the time, which is yeah. just crazy. And it, and for the people that will watch the film review, you'll see it, why it hurts you. And not just being a robot, not just saying, Hey, here's the action that we went over in the scout and I'm going to follow this guy. I mean, odds are they're drawing up something to try to take advantage of what you've prepped for. That's what all these coaches do. So with Pickett, it's a tough guy to prep for because he's so versatile, because he can do so many things. Uh, and really, you, you kind of are at the mercy where you're like, we're going to force tough ones and pray to God that he misses them. And last night, he didn't miss them. I've had a lot of people say, well, Brad didn't do anything different than the last time. I, Mike, tell me if I'm wrong, but it felt like they did. I mean, they started with Coleman Hawkins on him. They threw Ty Rogers on him. They did play him straight up. And, and you mentioned like the last three losses – They've lost. Uh, they've had three epic performances. Like Trace Jackson Davis, thirty-five points, 
a bunch of assists, a bunch of rebounds. Uh, Tony Perkins, uh, how many points? 32, uh, career high, and got to the free throw line, which was a big part of it. But um, I, I guess that's the kind of, they play straight up. Like they, they want they want their guys to to be able to take that matchup and play. So uh, what did you think of of their approach to not just guarding Pickett, but Penn State? I didn't think it was a bad approach. I think Trace Jackson Davis is a different story. I think that's one you really look at and say, maybe, yeah. maybe not. You know, maybe maybe we we go with throwing a couple bodies and and just have him try to be a passer. And he's he's become a really good passer. But, but last night, yeah, I mean, you stuck Coleman on him. Uh, you obviously had Terrence on him in some in some instances, and um, but it, it turned in a lot of times when you start switching, which I think is the way to do it against them I think you have to switch um they just it go it turns into the NBA playoffs and when mm-hmm. I say the NBA playoffs it's just it's hunting matchups and there were times where they were hunting matchups it was go and find Epps Harris is out there go and find Harris and just kind of use your strength to back into the paint and the one time or there was one time in the game where Epps was buried down there and but I believe it was Terrence that just was like, man, I'm going. Like, I'm just going to go. And Terrence ran down and made Pickett pick up the ball. And as, as Terrence is retreating back to his guy, Pickett, it's turnover. Mm-hmm. Throws it right to Terrence. So that's what I'm saying. It's There's not a, just a steady game plan where it's like, we're going to trap him every time. And because we trap him every time, he's not going to score and they're not going to get going. Or we're going to play him straight up and we're going to completely shut off all their other players. It's just, it doesn't work like that. It's just, it's continuing to think the game. And it's continuing to play with deception defensively to where if I'm the offensive player, instead of only having to process my one-on-one matchup and how far away I am from the basket and how I can score and who's open, it's bringing some element of let's make this ball handler second guess himself. Let's make him think one thing. We're going to do another. Like that's, that's where, and that's, that's on the players too in the moment to have to realize that because guys move and now you're on the wing, you're guarding, you're one pass away, you're two passes away. And just actively thinking, man, like, well, how can I disrupt here um, without trying to be a hero, obviously? And that, and that, therein lies the the uh, the difficulty of guarding a team like Penn State. Mike, I want to get into some of the positives. There were some positives offensively. Uh, Penn State, not a very good defensive team, but still, you, you will take some of these. Uh, but one concern offensively uh, is Jaden Epps shooting. He is now one for twenty uh, in his last four games. I think it's the last eight games. He's six for thirty-seven. For a team that, besides Matthew Meyer, doesn't really have a reliable shooter right now, how concerning is Jaden Epps' slump here, and, and what do you think is the reason for his slump? Six, yeah, six for 37, one for 20. That's, I'm not going to say I'm not concerned. He has proven that he can make shots, but Jeremy, you know how I feel about low-trajectory guys. Um <laughs> And what I mean by that, and I'm not sure if you you had discussed this at all previously. I'm not sure we had mentioned this, but as the season goes on, you know, your legs become an issue, right? Like there's a lot of strain. Like you you you've played a lot of games, and especially for freshmen, where they're probably at the point. I don't know how many games getting to the point where you've played as many games in a season as you played in high school. Yeah, and eventually you're going to eclipse that, and. What you have to realize is as the season goes on, your legs become more important on your outside jump shot. And the margin for error becomes smaller for the guys that have flat shots because those automatically become short. 
So that's Epps, that's Melendez, and that's Hawkins to a degree. And I think Coleman's done a better job these past couple of games. I, you can really tell he's loading up. He's getting good lift. Uh, RJ just couldn't quite get it to the rim. Epps, same type of thing where it's just it's kind of on that low trajectory. It's just being mindful, um, using more legs than you probably would would want to. Um, but the the fact of the matter is he's he'll turn that around. Um, you want it to obviously happen at some point where it's like before the season's over because yeah. um, we're, we're getting there, but yeah, not, not, not concerned with him. And he's, he's doing so much defensively and um, making an impact around the rim and, and putting pressure, getting downhill that the three point misses become less of a, a thing that can sink your team. Dan commented, he said, doesn't RJ have a high arc, but it's just short a lot. Like, yeah, how would you describe the difference between those shooting slumps right now? The RJ made one last night. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I wouldn't really classify RJ's as, like, high arc. Um, but he probably has higher than the other two. The problem is I don't think he, he's shot ready enough. Yeah. So we've talked about before on the film reviews where when you catch the ball standing straight up, you got to go back down to come back up. And that enter that introduces a lot of different variables. Whereas when you're just shot ready, like the Luke Goody, like he was last night in the right corner when Ty delivers that pass, you take that whole step out. Now you're already down. All you gotta do is go up. So that's to me, that's RJ's biggest issue, shooting the ball. But you, you just the one thing you can never do as a shooter is have somebody sit there and be like, eh, he doesn't look very confident. Yeah. Um that's that's when you're in trouble. Yeah, Jaden looks confident still. Jaden looks confident, and 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 that and I mean, what was he zero for seven last night? <laughs> Kept firing him up there, Mike. Shoot, yeah. I mean, you, he's at least not scared to take him. I don't know if I I think I quoted the Dion Waiters thing where he's like, I'd rather go zero for thirteen than zero for two because at least I had enough confidence to keep shooting. So. You want to be good ones, obviously, but I, I'm not. I'm not overly concerned with Jaden. Uh, just on Luke Goody, real quick. Like this, is kind of what I expected, Mike. Right, first game, get a couple minutes. Second game, make a shot. But yeah. he's still he's still feeling himself out like everywhere else. It's a process, right? But man, he makes that one, Mike, and I'm like, that's what they need. They need somebody who can do that, hit corner threes, and not kill you anywhere else. He's a stem the tide guy, yeah. right? Like he did it against Houston last year. I think I don't know what the exact score was of the game. It was maybe like it was one of those weird like nineteen to ten. You know, they're a five zero run or seven zero run from maybe putting this thing away, and Goody hits a three to make it nineteen to thirteen, um, something like that. And 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 he did the same thing last night, where I think it was an eight point game or maybe it was twenty seven nineteen or twenty five nineteen. Twenty five nineteen, yeah. And he, yeah, hits a three. I mean, those are. That's why having a shooter like that is important because they can stem the tie um, and not let these runs snowball from 8-0 to 14-0, and he does that. So we'll see him continue to build. The The reality is if Ty Rogers wasn't a thing, he'd probably be getting more minutes. Um, but Ty Rogers is a thing. So, uh, so yeah, no, I, I think he'll continue to grow there. And, look, the, the decrease in RJ's minutes – you know, and maybe there's a decrease other places depending on matchups, but Luke is definitely a guy that you can throw in there really with, with any type of matchup because of his size and how good he is positionally defensively and his ability to shoot the ball and spread the floor. 
Ty Rogers is a thing right now, man. Uh, he's he's their best bench player over over the last yeah. month, and, and just the confidence we're seeing from him offensively and some of these takes to the rim and finishes uh, around the rim. It feels like I'm asking you this every week now, which is a good thing. But what is the latest jump? Like, what is the latest step in this progress for for Ty Rogers? Well, the latest step is where you see him being implemented in some things offensively. I think you know what he does defensively, but. You know, that stack action that they run to pop Matthew Meyer and Terrence Shannon out to the wing, they that was Ty was in that last night. Because you can follow with a ball screen and he's good in ball screens that the cross screen action out of spread on the baseline that they usually run for Matthew Meyer, they're running it for Ty Rogers because he's so potent down there. And the baseline out of bounds play that they run for Terrence Shannon to rip with his left hand downhill, they're running it for Ty Rogers. So his emergence, I know he's he was two points a game, 2.4 points a game going into last night. And at this stage of the season, I'll, I don't know what it is this morning, like 2.8. Like I, I, even in a 10 point game, you don't, you don't move the needle that much, but I, for him to, he just, man, his physicality, um, when he plays within himself, I mean, he put Pickett in the basket. He put Lundy in the basket. I mean, th- those are older guys, man. And he's so quick off the ground and that helps him not only finishing around the basket, but it helps him on the glass. Because when the shot goes up, he's he's off the ground quicker than most guys and can get a hand on a ball and keep balls alive. And, um, and he's getting so much good exposure to drawing tough assignments in this league. Mm-hmm. It, this is very rarely or is it bestowed upon you uh, this, hey, you're going to guard, you're going to guard Jalen Pickett, right? It was Sam Griesel a couple games ago and he's, um, he's guarding a lot of good players where you, you know, typically you try to hide freshmen, <laughs> right? you know, and, and that's not the case with him. And he's willing to accept that challenge. He's taking it on. He's, I still think he's, he's going to turn the corner at some point and, and not get these freshman calls that he got another one last night, which is just Terrence Shannon does the same thing. It's not a foul, but it is for Ty Rogers. And uh, he's going to continue to battle through that. And I, that's why I said the trajectory for him not only as a player, but defensively is better than what it is now. I mean, that, that goes without saying because he's going to continue to grow, but he's going to continue to be to get away with things more defensively when, when he's more respected in the league. Um, that's just the way it is. Trent has that. Terrence has that to a degree. Um, that comes with time. So I'm excited. I, I think this is kind of what we envisioned mm-hmm. for him, where he's making an impact on that end and then uh, if he's scoring in double figures, man, and doing it in bursts like he did last night, where they kind of kept going to him. And you saw the Penn State dancers throwing their hands up because um, there was really nothing that you could do. And that's that's a pretty strong development for this team, is, is to have a guy like that emerge like that off the bench. Last four games, six and a half points, seven rebounds, uh, 1.5 assists, 1.3 steals, one turnover, so positive assist to turnover, yeah. 78% field goal. If you go last eight games, he's got a couple zero points in there. It's four, it's five points, six rebounds, one assist, one steal, 72%. Um, I, I do think last night and some of this offense, like next year you got you got to find somebody who can do some of the things Terrence Shannon does, and you brought it up there, Mike. His ability to take it off the bounce, create for teammates, he, he's got that – kind of ability obviously can't shoot like, like Terrence does from the outside even if Terrence is a little inconsistent 
Um, but it just, it gets you really excited not only for this year but for the future of Ty Rogers because we're seeing what made him a top fifty prospect it was not just rebounding in yeah. defense, which he's great at. He's a good offensive player, even though he's not what I would call a shooter. Yeah, and I think the the switch to the spread helped him a lot. Yeah, um, when they were five out, it was harder to disguise him as a non shooter. Uh, you really had to stick him in the short corner and put him in that little rover spot uh, to to get something out of him offensively. And now there's so much movement, and you can get him in that get action and you know passing, going and getting back, coming off a ball screen, dribble handoffs, and that's where I think he flourishes uh, is being able to attack and get downhill and rip drive and you know put you in jail and and he's so he's such a good finisher. And because he's so explosive off the ground, it's his shot doesn't get blocked very often because mm-hmm. um, it's hard to match that. So, yeah, moving forward, you know, not to dive into next season, but yeah, it puts you know it, it puts the onus on the staff to say, all right, the Terrence Shannon. Yeah, I'll even say it here in mid February. I mean, the Terrence Shannon and Matthew my experience or experiments worked. It's worked, and I think it's it's a say it louder. Attack. Say it louder, Mike, because yeah. I, I get it. It's not always consistent. There's some flaws in their games, but these two have been all Big Ten caliber players for Illinois. Yeah, and there's a learning curve. Yeah, and I think that's I think anybody that watches this season transpire probably will have more of an understanding next year if they go and address and reload in the portal that like this is going to take a second. We were spoiled earlier this year because you knock off UCLA, you knock off Texas, and you can kind of have a false sense of where you're at as a team. Um, but look, I think, I mean, what a uh, I, I, like testimonial, I guess, uh, as you're going through and recruiting and guys are looking at where to go and they transfer. And I mean, look at what we did for Terrence Shannon and Matthew Meyer. <laughs> I mean, these are two guys that right now are on NBA draft boards. And Terrence and Matt have both undoubtedly, undoubtedly helped their stock. No doubt. Like, And, and there's guys that have gone and transferred elsewhere that have not done that. Mm-hmm. It's gone the opposite way. So, you know, like that's, that's another element where if you can reload and tie as a guy that doesn't need the ball a million times. He can be who he is and have a really, really strong impact on the game no matter who's surrounding him. So I think he's a guy that if you're a transfer, look like, man, I want to play with that guy. Because not only are you going to be able to still do what you do offensively, he's going to take some pressure off you defensively, man. And, you know, that's that's huge. And that allows guys to, you know, keep their wind and – and be able to perform at the level that they can. And, you know, Ty's a big reason for that. So I'm, I'm excited to kind of see the trajectory of uh, of that dude moving forward. Yeah, if all three of the guys that are NBA draft prospects um, go, which we would expect, Ty, Ty would be the next guy that I think NBA yeah, scouts sure. are, are definitely looking at. Uh, Terrence Shannon, I want to talk real quick. 20 points, was 5 of 14 from the field. I, I just like the way he operated offensively last night, Mike. Aggressive. Mm-hmm. When he's aggressive, when he's getting downhill – it really does seem like a mixed bag of how he's being officiated. Um, yeah. you, you'll see different crews let stuff go 
and you'll see crews like last night where he was getting downhill and it was virtually every time they were calling it and he was getting to the line. So for him, it's just, he's just got to keep doing that. Sometimes he'll get the call. Sometimes he won't, but the pressure that it puts on the defense and the strain that it puts on the defense. And uh, if nothing else, you have a chance to put guys into foul trouble or you create long closeouts and rotations. And um, yeah, it's, it was a far cry from what he did in that first Penn state game where I thought, you know, he was just kind of out there. Yep. And you you forgot about him at times. And for Terrence, like, you should never forget about Terrence Shannon. Um, and he, last night, you, you didn't forget about him because he was so ever-present in the way that not only he was getting out in transition, but attacking downhill, uh, getting – I mean, I think he had, what, three or four steals getting in passing lanes, and um, he was good, man. And, and, look, I know it's a loss. It's a road loss. But Coleman looked great offensively. Uh, took a couple questionable ones in the second half, but or in the first half, but looked good offensively. You know, I thought uh, Ty looked good offensively. Terrence looked good offensively. And look, for kids that are 18 to 22 years old, when they're feeling good offensively, it just permeates throughout their game. Mm-hmm. It just does. That's just that's being what being a young guy is is about. Is like when you see stuff going in, it just it opens up different things. So. That's why I'm not overly concerned about last night. And I do I trust this Illinois team more to be a team when it counts to get stops, when it matters. I think they can do that. And um, it's the exact feeling that I had against Rutgers. When Rutgers got off to that blistering start, I, I, I may have been texting you during the game, but I was like, I'm not really concerned because I trust this Illinois team to get stops when it matters. And they're good enough offensively to flip that around, and that's what they did. And to be honest, the Iowa game, I felt the same way if they just wouldn't have fouled, yeah, right? Because exactly. Iowa was taking really tough shots. Rutgers was taking really tough shots and making them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Penn State kept making them. Um, and, and I keep getting questions. We keep getting questions about why are they in hard hedge, um, things like that, um, and, and get the ball out of Pickett's hands. Let, I, yeah, go ahead. I'll, t- I'll, touch, on, I'll touch on that because I had, I had a couple people DM me about that. Um, the reason why you gotta you gotta decide what you want to give up, um, and for probably most most of the top twenty five teams defensively and defensive efficiency. I did a study last year. I'd have to go and do it again this year, but I guarantee you it's close to the same. I think twenty of the twenty five teams, uh, you know, teams that were in the top twenty five for defensive efficiency play drop coverage. Like that is their primary ball screen defense. And the reason why it's so good analytically is because one of the, the degree of difficulty you've, you know, you force for the shots, they're typically tough twos. You stay out of rotation and you don't give up a ton of threes. Now last night was a different story because of the, all the actions. It wasn't high ball screen stuff. It was, you know, it wasn't like high ball screen tag in throw the back action three it was down screens, and I thought it was more a product of them getting screened last night than it was, you know, that, like, you could hard hedge and also they're running actions. They're still running actions off the ball. It, that's just specifically ball screen coverages. Mm-hmm. And you can get the ball out of Pickett's hands, but you're committing two to the ball, one. You're taking arguably your best rim protector, Dane Danger, away from the basket. You're taking arguably one of your better rebounders, Dane Danger, away from the basket. And there's too much of a downside there. And I think – if you're going to hard hedge, yes, you're using your length up top and you're, you're, you know, but you open yourself up for more reach and fouls. 
you you know if they do get it out of there they're not going to turn it over every single time so when they do get it out of there now you're in rotation now they're hit now bad shooting teams are making open threes like the good shooting teams they're going to get shots off they're going to make them from time to time but to me the reason why i like the drop coverage is because it's like we're gonna give you as many 17 footers as you want we're not going to put ourselves in rotation and we're going to shrink the floor to this game. That's why you won against Michigan State, right? Like, that's why you won against Rutgers, because you you limited that game, and you said, we're going to play this game in the middle third, and you're not going to get anything on the wings, and you're going to have to shoot over our length. You you take your length out of the equation when you start hard hedging and, and all that. I know you I know initially you have it up top, but as the possession goes on, you're, you, you put much more of a strain on your defense. Well, Mike, this was supposed to be revenge week. Uh, but Illinois can still get a big win. Uh, Indiana's number 14 in the country. That's a really difficult place to play against probably the hottest team right now in the Big Ten and one that uh, really punked you uh, on your own home court uh, a couple weeks ago with their domination in the paint and Trace Jav- Jackson Davis's game. I would imagine they have a different approach to Trace Jackson Davis, but uh, what, what are the keys to this game for you? For sure. I, I'd be shocked, personally, if they came in there and just played Dane straight up and now there's going to be moments where that happens where just like every good team does they're going to they're going to try to design certain actions uh where they run a lot of cross screen on the baseline for for trace jackson davis uh where they can clear out the strong side enter it cut and then you're having to come from the other side the trap and odds are there's not enough time for you to come and get there before he gets to his right shoulder and shoots a left hook so they'll they're gonna design things that are gonna end up putting dane danger on an island like it's gonna happen at some point it's just on dane to say okay you were very excited for that matchup last time Mm -hmm. and you know he blitzed you and now what you can't do is come in and say oh like i'm winning this matchup and then you get two fouls right or you know you just you you have to train yourself to play within yourself and play like the the like oh like the the tightness you should have is like i'm so dialed in like i'm so locked in mentally Uh, i'm 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 loose physically right like i like i can flow with it i can but mentally i'm so dialed in i know where things are coming from and him being the five man air traffic control he has to see all that now the focus obviously has to be on him i think i I would be shocked if they didn't send another body at times. But the focus, although it's on TJD and limiting that domino effect that his success has, because it gets, you know, Geronimo going, who I don't know if he's still out. He made, I don't know if he he played last game, but, but Galloway, these other guys that, that get going from Trace Jackson Davis, like they are beneficiaries of him. You can't let that happen. So, but the other things you can't do is just say, "Oh, we're so focused on Trace Jackson Davis that Jalen Huchifino hits five first half threes, like he did against Ohio State, or six, or whatever it was," because um, he's a guy that can blow this thing open too. So, although you have a really good player in Trace Jackson Davis, an All American in Trace Jackson Davis, you can't go into that game and just completely, yeah. um, you know, disregard everybody else. Like I'm looking at Galloway specifically; he had a good game in Champaign. Like he had, he smacked his imprint on that game Geronimo, and, yeah yeah and, and geronimo too um you like those guys can't be the dudes that have the most floor burns 
and, and can't be the dudes that um, are all over the glass and, you know, getting in passing lanes, getting steals. Like, you have to match and exceed, especially on the road. You have to match and exceed that intensity. So, you know, if they do that, if they win this game, I mean, this this race, depending on what happens with t- tonight with Northwestern and Indiana, like, this thing gets really yeah. interesting for that probably for that those Friday games because Purdue, although they lost the other day, they're like, thank God all you guys just continue to lose. Like Rutgers loses, Illinois loses, um, and then somebody's going to lose tonight uh, between these two teams. So, yeah, I- I'm excited because I-, I really do I really do think there's – and not to, not to like compliment Indiana too much, but like a Saturday – noon game at in assembly hall like that's that's big time there's something to it man and 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 these guys have a chance here to kind of rise to the occasion and get a big road win listen and illinois beat a ranked team last week um now Rutgers has lost three straight uh including a loss to nebraska but i, I think fans would feel better because it's been a while since they've gotten what i would call a marquee win mike sure. like they've had yeah. some good wins i mean i still think going on the road to wisconsin who could be a tournament team still is a good win like they've had some good wins but they haven't had that marquee win that makes you feel like they could make that run in the NCAA tournament. Um, it's been a while since Texas happened, right? So uh, basically, I, this is kind of an update on how you feel about this team. But if you were an NCAA tournament opponent in the pod against Illinois, what would you think of this Illinois team? What would you think about matching up against them? It's a tough matchup. I think and people, you know, different commentators on broadcast have mentioned it, and they're right, where – this Illinois team presents a lot of tough matchups for a lot of teams uh, because of the versatility of their lineups. And um, But I also think that although when you look at the analytics and when you look at the numbers, they're a really good defensive team. I think everybody knows that. Last night would be probably a bit of an aberration where you look at a team hanging 93 on you and a, just an all-time performance from a guy. But I think people also know that they have some crazy spurtability offensively. Um, and they're just they're starting to realize that, and like Myers Myers been clicking for the better part of the last yeah. two months. You can see like Terrence has kind of gotten out of his rut that he was in in, in January. Uh, Ty the emergence of Ty Dane's been so good down low when he's when he's fed. Jay Neps has been great. You see what he did at Iowa. I think you look at the collection of the guys that they have, and you're like. Any given game, depending on the matchup, you know, just like last year with Houston, where you're like, "Geez, congratulations, you're a, you know, four or five seed, and this is who you got to meet in the round of 32." I think there's going to be some teams. I mean, let's say Illinois falls to like a seven seed, yeah, or I shouldn't say falls, like ends up a seven seed. I don't know, man. That's that's if you're a two seed, you're like, "Shoot, we got to play these guys with like three guys on this, four guys on this team that could potentially wear NBA jerseys." I mean, that's 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 a tough matchup, man. It's around college basketball, around college basketball. Sorry to interrupt. My, there's not a big difference between three and seven seeds right now. No, no, there isn't. And <laughs> and that's why I, I'm looking at. It. There's a lot of teams across the country where, I mean, I worry about Purdue in a way where if they end up being a one seed, I could name a few eight nines that could beat them. Um, like this is this this is gonna sound crazy, but like the one I had in my mind the other day was like. If Mizzou wins their first game, <laughs> plays and, plays, and uh, plays Purdue, like that's a really tough game for Purdue. You know, no, um, no six seed wants to see Penn State make the tournament. <laughs> no, like they sneak into that to to Dayton, 
win a game and go. I mean, we, we've seen every year. I, I don't know. I know going into last year, I, I'd have to go back and check. But every year, someone that wins in Dayton wins the next game. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually don't think that happened last year because uh, I think Indiana lost Saint, to yeah. St. Mary's maybe. And um, I'm trying to think who the other high major team that was in there was. But they might have lost that game too. It's yeah, you don't. There's a lot of teams that I think you don't want to see, and I and I think Illinois is on that list because although you know you're going to have the oh marquee wins, they have an opportunity for that. I mean, yeah. Saturday's an opportunity for that. Purdue's an opportunity for that. Um, Michigan, I it kind of sucks that that you know you you beat Michigan at home in a couple weeks. It's not a marquee win. Um, Ohio State could still be a quad one win. On the road. Ohio State somehow could still be a quad one win. Um, but, yeah, and, and it's also funny looking back at last night and just being like, man, you're at the mercy of this guy dropping 41. Probably how UCLA felt against yeah. us um, or against Illinois. Like, you're just like, I don't know. These are all yeah. just pull-up, step-back threes. I mean, what are you, you going to do? So My whole that, thing is, Mike, I don't know now better than I did December whether I feel like this team is going to lose in the first round or, or make it to the elite eight. Like I, I can see either. Like I, I just, yeah. it, it depends on well, matchups, like getting into the tournament every year, see what happens. And this team has some talent. They have some flaws certainly, but I just look across the country and I don't see a lot of teams that, that don't right now. And look, we, every year we do this. And I, I probably said this last year on the podcast where we do this thing where we, throughout the season, try to, you know, peg a certain team as, oh, that's a Final Four team. Mm-hmm. Oh, that, oh, this is a Sweet 16 team. And all that doesn't mean shit. <laughs> because eventually, you, eventually you're going to have your matchup. Because I, I truly believe that Illinois team last year was a Sweet 16 team. And they would have gone if they played any other five seed or any like the other I think the other two years ago any other eight seed yeah yeah because every other team right I if I remember correctly if they were in any other quadrant they would have played New Mexico State uh Richmond I believe um and and one other one right like uh maybe St. Mary's might have been it but yeah like this this is the unfair pressure of this team that and and this is what it is, and that's and that's why I know it's probably weighing heavily. Um, where it's like, man, we gotta get to the second weekend. But look, you can eat. This team could very easily have like a North Carolina type run because there's gonna there may not be a St. Peter's next year, but someone is gonna ruffle some feathers. Always and, do that. <laughs> they yeah. do that one. But like they, but like this is what happens where you know if you if you get past the first game and you get past the second game, now you're in that second weekend, and all the craziness that happened in the first weekend, you can benefit from that because somebody went scorched earth and a 13 seed knocked off two guys, and that's who you're playing. Yeah. And now it's a little – and I shouldn't, I shouldn't say easier, but, yeah, it is. <laughs> it is. Like, I, for North Carolina to play St. Peter's in the Elite Eight, would they have chose Houston right. or St. Peter's? And they would have chose St. Peter's. So, like, I don't want to hear, like, oh, they're playing with house money. Like, no. You go in there, it's a better matchup. 
and you take care of business. So any of that stuff can happen. It's why it's probably the best tournament in the world. Um, I, maybe some people argue for like the World Cup or whatever, but uh, there's just so much craziness that happens rapidly at the same time. You know, this game just ended, and five minutes later, you're tuning over this one. We'll talk once the bracket comes out. Yeah. I can't project once that bracket does come out because last year I remember it came out. It was like, hmm, it's gonna be tough. <laughs> gonna be tough. Damn, <laughs> yeah, that's that's uh that's a tough matchup. So we'll see. Yeah. We'll see where they end up. But I, I do think being in that kind of six, if you're in that six seven range, yeah. your odds are you're playing a two or a three. You don't have to play a one. Um, crazy, crazier things can happen. So yeah. I don't know. I'm excited. I I probably went on a too long of a team. No, no, but it's, this, it's this tournament gets me amped, man. Yeah, and, and uh, I saw somebody comment like, "I don't see an elite eight team for a second. I'm not going to project them to do. But I'm saying like, I can't write that off with this team. Like, I, I've seen them be good enough, and if they get the right matchups, that's what it's about. Um, it, or if you're playing well at the end of the year, and they've won eight of eleven, right? They they've still won eight of eleven here. It's not like this team has been playing poorly. It's a good team. I don't think it's a great team. I don't know if there's a great team in college basketball right yeah. now. Well, I mean, look at – if you took, like, a temperature check for each fan base going into the NCAA tournament, take the 2021 UCLA team, right? If you pulled their fan base, you know, they – going into the NCAA tournament, they lost at Colorado, at Oregon, lost at home to USC, and then got bounced by Oregon State in the first round of the Pac-12 tournament. They lost four straight going into the NCAA tournament. I guarantee you, if you pulled that fan base and said, we go into the final four, they'd be like, what are you smoking? North Carolina last year. But they did. North Carolina last year. They were on the bubble like two weeks before. Same thing. And the the common denominator between those two teams is they have talent. Yeah. It's not like this scheme that they've had to like just – ring out as much as possible to try to get to the tournament and then oh man we gotta have some things that, like this team has talent it's just a matter of matchups and and how that talent plays because if if this talent on this team Terrence Shannon Coleman Hawkins you know Jade Neps, Matthew Meyer Dane Danger if those all hit at their apex like UCLA did mm-hmm. a couple of years ago with Hawkes and uh, Johnny Juzang and and Cody Riley and all those guys and Tiger Campbell Sure, they, this team can make a run. Absolutely, they got the talent to do it. Now it's just now it's just a matter of going out and doing it. Or they go three for twenty four from three and struggle in the first round. Like, absolutely, this, this team is that could happen too. Michael Tuop, great conversation, man. Appreciate it. Appreciate it, man. Great stuff as always with Michael Tuop, and that's going to wrap it up here for the Online Inquirer podcast. Give us a follow, rating, review wherever you get your podcast. Check us out on YouTube. Hit the like button. Hit the subscribe button while you're there. And check out the latest on everything Illinois basketball, football at Illini Inquirer. I will be starting to put out my 2024 focus in recruiting, starting with the quarterbacks. Illinois has offered one guy so far. So I give my thoughts on him and just Illinois' approach to quarterbacks in 2024. Be on the lookout for that coming up. And, of course, Michael Tulip's film room just posted that. So you can check that out at IlliniInquire.com. You can go VIP for just $1 for your first month. All right, everybody, have a great day. Take care of each other. We'll talk to you next time right here on the Illini Inquirer podcast. Bye, everybody.